Good morning. How's everyone this morning? We are missing loved ones this morning, serving Christ in Germany. So, um, so go with me. The year is 1505. A young 21-year-old law student is coming home from his studies. And he is caught in a terrible thunderstorm. He seeks shelter under a large tree. Lightning is clapping around him, and it actually hits close to where he's at. And in fear for his life, he cries out to St. Anne and says, If you will spare me, I will be a monk. And of course, the storm subsides. He goes home wet and cold. But he is alive. So then begrudgingly, and against his father's wishes, he drops out of law school and in to divinity school to become a monk. But he could never reconcile his idea of God. So he saw God the Father as an angry, vengeful God. And he saw Christ, the Son, as who would exact that punishment. And it didn't matter, Christian, non-Christian, you were going to pay. But if you could only get a righteousness of yourself, if you could only do enough good things... Maybe, maybe purgatory wouldn't be that bad. Maybe you could skip it altogether. Essentially, you are your own Messiah. What kind of Messiah are you looking for this morning? Possibly a conquering king that's going to come and crush all of your enemies, all your political foes, your Savior on Capitol Hill. There are no Saviors on Capitol Hill. They're all a bunch of Caesars. <laughs> and they're always going to let you down, by the way. Maybe He'll give you a good marriage and save you from singleness. Because you know then, all your problems are gone, right, married people? <laughs> it's, all, it's all butterflies and roses. One that will give you health, wealth. Nice house, good car, lots of friends, some cool clothes. Everything your heart desires, right? Or are you longing for the real Messiah, the real Christ? One that in spite of our lack of understanding, when he is revealed, will transcend what we think about him. When he is revealed in scripture. One that in our deepest, darkest sufferings. We can look to. And say you are enough. Though everyone and everything around me fail. I will trust you. One that is bigger and brighter than our mind could ever conceive. One that will never share his glory with anyone or anything. Today we will see a Jesus that is pushing against all of these false ideas of functional saviors and false Christs. He wants us to see him bigger than anything we could ever hope for in this world. A Christ that transcends Maybe what we think about it. It was a popular teaching uh, in this time that we're going to get to here in a second in the in the book of Mark, chapter twelve. That that Christ, the the, the Christ, the Messiah, right? He would wage uh, a a victorious war against all of God's enemies. He's gonna he's gonna crush it. And he's going to rescue 
God's people out of slavery, out of oppression, right? Um, and so they're looking at the circumstances around, uh, around them. You know, because we never do that, right? Um, and so they're looking at the circumstances around them, and they are longing to be delivered from this pagan Roman Empire. So uh, before we jump to judgment too quickly, let's think about that Roman Empire. They were brutal. They could be absolutely ruthless. In one day, this is about 40 years before Christ is incarnated on earth, 2,000 people were crucified in one day along about a 100-mile stretch. So, we're all going to the boardwalk one day, and we get off at Weld Road Exit, and all along the highway are people on crosses. Can you fathom that? I mean, just think about the labor it would take to even pull something off like that. I can't even... And about in 70 AD, when the temple is destroyed, there was a rebellion in Jerusalem, right? Well, guess what? Rome averaged roughly 500 people a day being crucified. So these cats were ruthless. So longing to be delivered from an evil Caesar who is crushing you, I get. However, that doesn't excuse bad theology. At all. It just doesn't. So let's, let's go to the text. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he a son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And his teaching, and in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces, and have the best seats at synagogues, and in the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses for a pretense, and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make about a penny. And he called his disciples to himself, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor woman has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would speak to us today through your word. That we would see you clearer. That we would be called back to repent and believe. Maybe there's someone here that's never been awakened. That you would awaken them. Holy Spirit, would you come and, and remove the scales from our eyes a little more so that we can see Christ better. In your strong, beautiful name we pray. Amen. So Christ had been enduring uh, test the te you know, testing and questioning from the scribes and Pharisees. Well, guess what? Tables are turned. He's asking the questions now. <laughs> so we find him in the temple, and he is giving a lesson on inscrutability. Like these dudes, like he asks this question, they're like, I really don't know what to do with this right now. I'm totally confused. I need to go hide. But Jesus was great at that. I love that about Jesus in the Gospels. So he poses a question that just, that just blows their mind. They, and he's showing them, and here's the question. We just read it. 
How can he say that he is your son if he calls him Lord? Well, how can he say that? Well, Jesus is showing that the scribes, though they know the Old Testament, they really don't know the Old Testament. And they really don't know the God of the Old Testament. Because if they did, they would understand and teach correctly the Word of God. They would have seen it. And here's what they missed. Uh, they're looking for a national hero, right? Some dude that's going to come in. He's got chain feet machine guns. He's got, you know, he's ready to go. He's got the bulletproof vest, a bunch of hand grenades. He's going to kill a bunch of people. But they were missing the meta-narrative of the Bible, the overarching story of the Bible, which is God is gathering a people to display His glory to and through. That's the meta-narrative of the Bible. Don't miss that. So in verse 36, Christ both confirms that David wrote Psalm 110, which Justin read at the beginning of our service. And he wrote it in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So that tells us two things. David wrote Psalm 110, and the Bible is trustworthy. You can trust the Bible. This is not fallible, untrustworthy, rabbinical teaching. Because they, they followed rabbinical teaching. Whatever the rabbi said, they just kind of went with it. Well, this isn't that. This is the Word of God. So, there are two words here that Jesus points out. We, we can't see it because we're reading English, right? Anybody can do Greek or Hebrew? Um, so the first word, the first Lord, is Yahweh. That's the covenant name of God. But the second, the second is not earthly king. No, it's Adonai. It's Adonai. So right there, he's showing that Messiah is not just some dude with a crown. He is God in the flesh. It points to his divinity. How could they not see this? Well, it was hidden. For God's purposes for salvation for you and me. He is showing the scribes that they haven't been understanding or teaching the Bible well. He's showing them two things. You don't understand this? And you're, you're leading the people down the wrong path. So it should have been obvious just from this passage alone that whoever the Messiah is, whoever this dude is, whenever he shows up, he's Adonai. He's God in the flesh. But they didn't get it. Let's look at uh, John 8. Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see it. Jesus used the covenant name, I am, and these dudes were ready to kill him. They never understood that the Christ was God in the flesh. They were looking for a warrior king that would come and have a bloody revolution and destroy God's enemies and set up David's throne forever. And Israel would rule. They were going to have t-shirts that said, Israelis rule, Gentiles rule. Just kidding. Um... They were reading uh, 2 Samuel 7, 12 that basically says uh, one of David's sons, uh, you know, from his line, is going to rise up. He's going to set up David's kingdom. And that's not the point of that verse. 
You have to read the Bible in context. Jesus is going to set up an earthly kingdom at some point. We know that. But he's going to save men from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Psalm 67. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples, not people, but peoples with equity and guide the nations, plural, upon the earth. What would the nations have to be glad about if they were excluded? (laughs) Nothing. They would have nothing to be glad about. Again, Steve Timmis. God is seeking or God is uh, gathering a people to display his glory to and through. I say that a lot. You're going to hear me say that a lot because that will help you understand the overarching narrative of the Bible. The whole story of the Bible is the story of redemption and love for his people. The scribes knew the word better than anybody, right? But they never got the point that Messiah was Adonai. God in the flesh. Christ is from everlasting to everlasting. He came to save them, not by committing, now catch this, He came not by committing a bloody revolution and violence. No. The violence that would be done would be done to Him. And that's how the bloody revolution would happen. That's how it would happen. He's pushing back on who they thought Christ would be and showing them they had no category whatsoever for a conquering servant king who would come and not be like some Jack Bauer you know, pulling out his HK. But he would be the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, wash his disciples' feet, and then go to a cross. That's not the dude they were looking for. They were looking for a guy who probably had a lot of tattoos, really bowed up, you know, probably a mohawk, maybe. Um... So I wonder, I wonder, Christian, what kind of Christ do you cling to? Is it a Christ of your own making? Or is he continually getting bigger and brighter and better all the time? Because our lives are laid bare by the word. If we worship a Christ of our own making, that is no Christ at all. It is an idol. If there's any non-believers here, what kind of savior are you looking for? One that will just leave you alone, let you live your life the way you want to, just bless you with some stuff. Christ is a conquering king and he will crush his enemies. But he was not just an earthly king come to set up an earthly kingdom. Though an earthly kingdom he will have. We all believe that. So Christian, think about the ways that we may be thinking about Christ wrongly and ask the Spirit, come and and show me. Let me see Christ better. Let me see Him clearer. Repent of those things. They thought that Christ would be the son of David, but He was also the God of David. One that David would bow to. One that is better, one that is the better David. Because all David could do is set up an earthly kingdom. But Christ would not only set up an earthly kingdom, but an everlasting heavenly kingdom. A kingdom made up of men and women that are free from sin and death. So uh, this last verse in this first section, (laughs) they heard him gladly. It makes me think that uh, they were really enjoying Jesus' 
putting these guys to the test a little bit. And uh, in fact, he's going to do that more in the in the next section. Let, let's read uh, thirty-eight uh, through forty. And in his teaching, he said, "Beware of the scribes and Pharisees who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces, and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense." Make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. So let's let's talk about that just for a second. So basically, Christ proclaims, hey, beware. Look at the life and teaching, because they're not separate. Look at the Bible and see if things line up. Are they teaching the Bible in context? And are they living it out? It appears no. So let's talk about the scribes for just a second. The, the scribes, they, so everybody wore like colorful clothing. You know, uh, the Jews weren't like, you know, all black, Johnny Cash all the time. They, they wore colorful clothing. They weren't, they weren't prudes or anything. But the scribes wore all white they had this long white uh, robe, um, and it was him with a long uh, fringe that would go down to their feet. So, you know, they had the appearance of piety. Stuck out to everybody, right? So you got a white robe. So when people would see them in public, they would rise out of respect for these guys. Does that seem a little weird to you? And the only people that were exempt from this where if, if, the, if, the, if the scribe was walking through the marketplace, right, and, and you're building a chair and you just don't notice them, well, you're exempt. I mean, hey, you, you're working, right? Those are the only people exempt. They were seated at the right and left of the master of a party because uh, it was like this great honorable thing to have the scribes there. I guess they were like the DJs of the day. I don't know how to contextualize that at all. Uh, but they were revered above age and even parents. Even parents. At the synagogue, though, they had the place of ultimate honor, right? They got to sit with their backs against the chest, facing the congregation in their white robes, holding the Torah. So you could see me holding the Torah, and you're not. We are not built for that type of thing. I mean, think about it. How many celebrities, professional athletes, have you seen? They're, they've got the world seemingly at their fingertips. And their lives disintegrate. Right before our eyes. I mean, we see it all the time. And we wonder, what, hey, I wonder when those guys are going to learn don't do drugs because they keep dying. You know, I mean, we're not built for that type of fame. And the scribes are no different. I mean, look, we even see it in, in celebrity pastors and, and in popular Christian singers. Fame can destroy you at any level. And the scribes are no different. They believe their own press. They, these guys lived, I don't know if you know this, but they didn't take a salary. They lived off the donations of the people. Okay? So, Christ brings up the fact that they devour widows' money. It was thought that if you, if you gave to the scribes, you earned merit. Right? It was a good work. Well, these guys would take... Now, look, if you were a widow during this time... It wasn't like you're living off your dead husband's 401k and annuity. Okay? You had nothing. You eat by. You did everything you could to live hand to mouth. And the scribes were taking their money, could care less, wanted the cash. They were extremely materialistic. 
James, the half-brother of Christ, writes in his epistle and says, Pure and undefiled religion is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress. Not take advantage of them. That's wicked. That's so evil. They dreamed. They dreamed of a great earthly kingdom. And if this is our Christ, if this is our Christ, a Christ that gives us money, power, fame, some great, wonderful government that we think we deserve, that's not Christ, y'all. That's not the real Christ. Isaiah 42 tells us that He will not share His glory with another. He is our Savior. There is no other. It's only Him. This should also give us pause. When we hear, when we hear Christ's warnings, beware of the scribes. Okay? So these are the guys that knew the Bible. Like they knew the Bible. They didn't have to look it up. Many of them knew it by heart. So when he says that, we should think, this should give us pause when we think about uh, teaching the Bible like I'm doing now. It's a very scary thing. James 3. Not many of you should, uh, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Let's look at Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So in these two passages, we see the greater condemnation Jesus refers to. We need to handle the word rightly. So, church, you will hear us, you hear from, from Jared Kendrick to me, uh, you will hear us all the time encouraging to read dead guys. Read the dead guys. Read the Bible, but also read the dead guys. Why is that? Well, the dead guys aren't trying to sell you a book. Publishers might be, but the dead guys aren't. So there's a faith handed down is what I'm getting at. We didn't wake up one day and, oh, this new book called the Bible. Wow, it's amazing. No, we, we, we have been handed this faith. So we need to understand how to read the Bible in the context of the Bible. The Bible tells us what to believe. It, it doesn't contradict itself. It only confirms itself. We need to understand that. So, we need to be Bereans. Like, look, you're going to read some dead guys, all right? And you're going to go, no, wait a minute. He's saying this, but I'm, I'm seeing this. In There's going to be some minor points you disagree with, okay? But we want to, we want to stay away from bad teaching, right? And we've all heard bad teaching, Right? Like, for instance, you know, you know, when you stand out there, you got your little rock, you just got to slay your giants. You got to stand there and fight, brother. Or I've heard this at girls' youth group stuff. You know, girls, you just need to be like Esther. Esther stood in faith in God. She just trusted God, and she just risked her life. Just stand there and fight. Just be like Esther. That's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. It's funny. But, but, I mean, it's horrible. Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, all the scriptures are about me. So, I mean, I know Greek and the translation. So let me, let me break it down. So that tells me that all the scriptures are about Jesus. Okay. Um, I'm not David. 
I'm not Ruth. I'm not Esther. I'm not. No, 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 no. We are not the hero of the story. If I'm the hero of the story, y'all, we're in big trouble. Like we're in major trouble. No, Jesus is the better David. He conquers the giant of Satan's sin and death. He will not take advantage of his people and take their wives and whack the guy. No, he will care for his people. Jesus is the better Esther. Esther risked her life for God's people. Jesus gave his life for God's people. Jesus is the better Jonah. Jonah goes into the belly of the fish, comes out, preaches the word, and he still hates them. He wants them to die. But Jesus goes into the belly of the earth and comes out a victorious king to save and love his people. Jesus is the better Moses. Moses didn't lead the people into the promised land because he sinned, not Christ. Christ leads his people into the promised land. He will not fail. Brother, sister, he will have us in glory. Look, you, you can be the most popular teacher on the planet. You know, people fly you around in jets and take your sandals off and all this stuff, whatever. But if you give people a wrong picture of who Christ is, Christ is saying, woe to you. You will be judged. You are in condemnation. I don't want to be there. I remember the first, one of the first times I ever heard Jeff Vanderstel uh, was at Huntsville, our sending church. And he said this. If your people leave on Sunday and think, I have to do better, I have to try harder. You have disqualified yourself as an elder and should resign effective immediately. You are not giving your people the gospel. You are giving them themselves. Do you see the difference? Okay. What if I stand up here and I say, hey, y'all, look, y'all got to stop sinning. You got to stop sinning, you know? You got to stop lying. You got to quit stealing. You got to quit being private. Okay? You got to stop watching too much Netflix, man. It's not good for you. You just got to stop. You know? Don't, don't look at porn. You know, get that, get that software. It'll, it'll email me every time you, you see something that you shouldn't. Okay? You just got to stop. Or what if I stand up here and I say something like Tim Keller? And I say, you are more wicked than you ever dared believe. And yet... You are more loved <clears throat> and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared hope. You are more wicked than you ever dared believe and yet are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared hope. What does that do to your heart and soul? You see what I did there? The, first, the, the second trains you in godliness and, this, and the first it teaches you to trust in a system. It teaches you to trust in yourself in anything but Christ. One trains us to throw down our idols because now we hate them and turn to the real risen Savior and repent and believe in faith and joy. That's the difference. You would leave here crushed if all I'd said was stop doing this, stop doing that. Where's the hope in that? If you could stop, you would have stopped already. <laughs> I can stop anytime I want. Um, Christ wants us to see Him in all His glory so we can be most satisfied in Him. If we don't see Him in this way, we can't glorify Him. We can't enjoy Him because He will always let us down. Okay, so think about a Christ that will let you down. Think about the people that you know that were in either like a prosperity gospel type church or even a, um, 
It's a very legalistic church. And when I say they work in, I mean they're out. I mean they're all the way out. They don't want anything to do with the church. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. They're done. Because they didn't worship the real Christ. They were sold a bill of goods. They believed that, and look, this, this even happens in Southern Baptist churches. I've seen it. Look, man, your marriage is on the rock. Well, brother, y'all just need to start building church. Everything will be fine, man. And their marriage falls apart. Well, well then what? Jesus was supposed to save my marriage. He didn't. I did what I was supposed to do. Christ is better. Look, think about some of the crazy ideas out there that, that look, you know, look, you're a child of the king, right? I mean, hey, your checking account should be full. You should get that promotion. But what happens when you don't? What happens when you get sick and you don't get well? What happens when you lose a loved one? What happens when they get sick? Look, as a 15-year-old kid, I'm looking at my brother in a casket. And I believe, Lord, you can raise him. I know you, I know you can raise him. This place is fixing to be rock. I you can't be done with you can't be done with my brother. This can't be real. As of April 20th, my brother has been gone from this life 30 years. Okay? Jesus didn't raise him from the dead. That wasn't his plan. Regardless of how much faith I had. I, I, I asked the Lord to heal my mother of a treatable cancer. And the medicine killed her. We don't always... We don't always see God work how we want Him to work. He's not a pinata we can just whack and get candy from. He, he's not a, a cosmic Coke machine that we can enter the prayer coins and hit diet or, or extra, extra sugar and get the Coke out. He is the Lord of the universe, not us. And we need to understand, y'all, Christ is better. He's better than a big brother. He's better than a mother. He's better than a father. And that's not easy for me to say. But he is better. Peter looks at Jesus and he says, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. You do. Not anybody else. Jesus is warning the people to see there's a much better Christ and only He can truly save. Not just this earthly state we live in now, but He is the ultimate Savior that saves from sin and to the Father. What functional Savior do you need to repent of this morning? What are you trusting in other than the risen Christ? Video games, phones, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, good grades, the next Netflix series, I'm just joking. Um, what are we trusting in? America, on average, this is average each year, <laughs> sorry Kendrick, spends $11 billion on coffee. On porn, $12 billion. On pro sports, $25.4 billion. On gambling, $34.6 billion. And on Cokes, $65 billion. And I'm from the South, so when I say Coke, if I ask you, would you want a Coke? Don't look at me and go, I don't want a Coke. I want a Dr. Pepper. That's what I meant. Uh, <laughs> it's all Coke to us. So let's put, let's put this in perspective, okay? The, the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention's budget 
is $300 million a year. Matthew 6. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your heart today? Is our heart in the things of this world? I say these things only to sober us, to think about that. What do we give our life and our time to? But only Christ can free us from the guilt and shame of turning to our functional saviors for pleasure, recreation, comfort, and worship. But we must turn to Christ as our ultimate treasure. That alone can cause us to leave our idols of self-indulgence and self-worship. Let's look at Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who finding it, who on on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away all the bad. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Christ will come and save men from every tribe, tongue, and nation and set up an everlasting kingdom, not some small, local, ethnic one. The scribes totally missed it. And their treasure was in the wrong place. So, moving into uh, the next section. At the, at the treasury, Jesus is, is showing uh, the further hypocrisy of the scribes by sitting in an obscure place um, where he can see all the offerings. And this was kind of like pageantry at its best. Um, so a little background so you can kind of visualize it. This always helps me. When I'm preparing, I really love the background stuff. Um, so indulge me. Um, so he's, he's, seeing, he's seeing these people come in. Some of them are rich. They're just dumping money in these things. But there were 13 brass chests or trumpets. And they were shaped like an inverted horn. They were, they were uh, narrow at the top and they got larger at the bottom. So they, they kind of fluted out. And so uh, each one had an inscription of what type of offering it was. So you had uh, new shekel dues, old shekel dues, bird offerings. I can't imagine that smelled good. Um, and then you had young bird offerings for the, uh, for, for the whole offering. Uh, wood, frankincense, gold for the mercy seat, and on six were inscribed free will offerings. Um, so it was Passover. So this place would have been hopping. Bunch of people coming through. And so Jesus, he kind of sits to where he can see not only the gifts, but he's, he's looking at their faces. He can see them. So he would have been able to see if someone's giving pained them or if they were giving out of a heart of worship. It had been written all over their face. I mean, let, <laughs> think about the celebrities that show up to these public, um, you know, uh, charity events. Like, I wonder sometimes, would they be there if this wasn't televised? Like, if I just threw this charity event, would they be there, really? You know, how many, how many people, whether professional, business owners, whatever, come into a church and give to the church, they join the church or whatever, just so they can promote. I mean, it's the South, right? So Jesus saves in my business, right? 
How many people have you seen that are just people come in and try to get influence and respect by giving? Look, I'm a preacher's kid, and I've literally heard this. Well, you know, Brother Bonner, I give a lot of money to this church. So, you know, this thing needs to change. Really? So you're just proving you're buying influence. You're buying your place, a seat at the table. You're not giving to the gospel. You're not giving to Christ. You're giving to yourself. So, um, Paul reminds us that God loves a cheerful giver, not a bitter one. Uh, So Jesus watched and he waits and then he sees something. And he's got, here's what he sees. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting in money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make about a penny. And he called his disciples and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of, the, out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Wow. A widow giving a day's wages everything she had. In that culture, again, you, you lived very much by hand to mouth, uh, and widows had it very tough, again, because they didn't have a husband. They wore distinctive clothes so that everyone around them would know they were a widow. So you could surmise that Jesus saw her, saw her the way she was dressed, and knew that she was a widow. Uh, the, the coins that she put in, uh, get ready for your trivia game win, they were called lepta. So you know what they are now. Uh, <laughs> they were about one four hundredth of a shekel or one eighth of a cent. And she had two, so we know that was about a day's wages. So instead of her offering making a huge noise as the other dropping of gold and silver coins. Hers barely make a sound. But somehow, those two coins echo throughout history. You don't read about the other offerings, but you read about the widow. Jesus sees this daughter of his, and he pulls the twelve aside, and he says, hey guys, come here. You got i got to teach you guys something. It, it's not about the size of the gift. It, it's about the heart and obedience with which one gives. She could have only given one. I mean, she had two. But she gave everything. She was basically saying, very quietly, Right? Here's everything, Lord. You can have it all. I love you and I trust you. So Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been uh, given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy... And their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and I can, attest, I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, and begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected. They gave of themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. The scribes were concerned with outer appearances. And Christ is showing them that the outer must follow an inner working of the Spirit. Why would you give if you didn't want to give joyfully? Why would you give? Why? Give, 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 and, and 
And not just money. I mean, it's time. It's talents. It's, it's your love. It's service. Okay? It's everything. The tithe in the New Testament is 100%. He, want, he wants it all because he's the Lord of all. So, back to 2 Corinthians 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you might in his poverty become rich. It was, look, it was no surprise to Christ that the scribes were teaching all this stuff totally wrong. He wasn't surprised at all. But Christ came into the world to fulfill everything so that we could be with Him. The, the Spirit fills our hearts. It, it causes us to see Christ bigger. And so we, we give whatever we give, however we give, out of worship, not out of compulsion. Not out of seeking a higher seat, right? So I'm just curious, when, when we see Christ in the Gospels, are there ever times where you're just kind of like, whoa, kind of shaking a little bit? Like, wow, I, I never, I don't remember, wow, that's, hmm. Because I think the world around us tries to paint Jesus, and it, 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 and it just kind of happens, right? I mean, you don't mean for it to, but you kind of sometimes you kind of drift off and you kind of kind of start thinking is Jesus some you know he's a little you know a little girly cries a lot you know loves herbal tea and aromatherapy you know he like boy bands are cool boy bands are not cool um, but that's not Jesus that's not the Jesus we serve at all right. Let's get a snapshot of the Jesus we serve. Revelation. In the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest, and hairs, and the hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a, in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me. He laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. The living one, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. This Christ, you cannot defeat. This is an all-powerful, scary Christ. And yet, He is kind. He puts His right hand on His shoulder. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him and they with his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The scribes could not and would not see a savior warrior king that was a servant that would dwell among his people and wipe away all the pain, all the hurt. 
so that they never even have to deal with it again. It's gone. It's gone. But that is in fact the God that we serve. And like that monk, Martin Luther, we find the same Christ on the pages of Romans 1. The righteous shall live by faith. And Luther read it, not the Latin, but he read it in the Greek for the first time at the age of 27. A scribe. He was a priest. He was teaching at a seminary. And he reads it for the first time. And he understands that this righteousness is not mine. I don't earn this. I don't gin this up. This is a righteousness given to me by Christ. And here's what he says. When I discovered that, I was born again of the Holy Ghost. And the doors of paradise swung open. And I walked through. In 500 years this year, we celebrate the recovery of the gospel. Oh, Christian. Who is this Christ? He is our everlasting Messiah. He will crush all his enemies under his feet. And we see him in all his glory, naked, shamed, and beaten with blood dripping down into his eyes from a crown of thorns, nailed to a cross, and then risen as a victorious conquering king over Satan's sin and death. We see him bigger and bigger and better than all our petty wants and desires. He becomes our ultimate, to whom we can give all out of, out of love, and gratitude. It makes us the kind of people we should be. It makes us humble, free from the world's charms, seeking the lower seat, loving and serving the lowly, not taking advantage of them, longing to give our lives to others and helping them see this Christ for all his worth. It makes us repentant and yet joyful. Christ is pursuing his people. Let him pursue you. If there's somebody here that's never known this type of love, please grab me or someone around you. But Christian, do you want to worship an impudent Christ? Or do we want to worship one that is the radiance of the glory of of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe with the word of his power. What a beautiful Savior we serve. What amazing Messiah we serve. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful. For your word. We are so grateful that you continually point us back to you. It is such a grace that we constantly are renewed. We are constantly regenerated and constantly being able to see you better. Repentance and belief, repentance and belief from faith to faith. Because we know that you are sanctifying us. We know that you are continually renewing our minds so that we can see you better and better. We can love you stronger and stronger. You can fill us up and pour us out. You can fill us up with your mercy. And then you can pour mercy out of us on others. Pray that we would rejoice today 
because we have seen you and we have been made better. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.